Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time once again to jump into that black and gold DeLorean and go back in time to another Pittsburgh Steelers game from yesteryear. My name is Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Tony Defio is with me. Tony Jules, how are you, my friend? I am good, and we're going back to just before I even cared about the Steelers. That's how close this this game we're about to do was to me becoming a fanatic. You know, this is right in my sweet spot, too, because at this point, I was a little more concerned with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Pirates were already world champions, but I was becoming a Steelers fan, too, and that City of Champions thing was just amazing to me, and I took great pride in it. We were both around seven years old, going on eight at the time, and I felt really close to that 1979 team, probably because I was getting football cards at the time, and I was starting to know who they were. So the 79 team is probably my favorite of all the Pittsburgh Steelers teams, and yes, I already did a spoiler. We are going back to the year, the City of Champions, one nine seven nine. It was a great year to be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. But let's go back to a time when Star Trek the motion picture was reinvigorating that franchise. That was number one at the box office. A song that I know that you've crooned on many a day, Tony Duffio, Babe by Sticks. Oh, that wow. was number one. And it was just about getting ready to be knocked out by one of my all-time favorites, Rupert Holmes. You know who really? Rupert Holmes is? I, I've heard the name. What song, what song did he did he have number one that year? It was called Escape. Okay. <laughs> let, let, let me put uh, some parentheses on there. Escape, 
the Pina Colada song. Ah, oh, we've, we've discussed that before. Wow. How can I, how would I, I always forget that. If wow. you'd like Pina Coladas. That's right. It was about his ex-wife that he, he entered an ad in the, in the paper and it was actually his ex-wife's uh, ad, right? Is that how that went? He was living with her. They were just cheating on each other. They ended <laughs> up cheating on each other with themselves. The, the late seventies. What a crazy time. His next hit was actually called him which went top 10 and it's about her leaving him for another guy. So Rupert Holmes, God bless him. He had some crazy things going on back in the sixties and seventies, I guess. And I guess he uses songwriting as uh, for therapy for himself. Forget about Rupert Holmes. We're talking sticks. And if you're a Steelers fan, you love sticks because, Oh mama. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Renegade, but Renegade. Babe, Babe was a beautiful song. It was a very pretty song. That was the wedding song of the late 70s prom song, too, I would probably think. So Babe by Sticks was number one at that point. And the Steelers just came off of a huge loss. It was a bad Monday night football loss to the Houston Oilers, which meant that the Steelers and the Oilers were going to both be 11 and four. It didn't matter what would happen when the Oilers were playing the Philadelphia Eagles win or lose. The only thing that mattered is if the Steelers lost Oilers, win the division, they win the central, then it's home field advantage. And you know why that's a big deal back then, Tony, the Steelers were seven and zero at home and four and four on the road. Yeah. I actually went into this game, not realizing that they needed to win this last game to clinch the division. You, uh, you go back and research the 70 Steelers and you just assume that they were always top at the end of the year, but they really needed to win this game. Otherwise, as you said, they would have been dropped down to a wild card. And it might be a completely different scenario altogether. They might be playing in the house of pain, even though it wasn't known as the house of pain back then they would have had to play the next week that week off. That was a big deal. And they were down some players, Tony. Jack Ham, they found out the morning on December 16th, 1979. They found out that morning that number 59 was lost for the season because of an ankle injury. Crushing blow for them, but they were obviously at one of the all-time great rosters. So I'm sure they were feeling pretty good that they didn't compensate. And of course, we, we know that they did. So we're talking about the Oilers. We're talking about the Steelers. This was the fifth tiebreaker that they were down to. So, I mean, yeah. they were even on everything. When you're at the fifth tiebreaker, that means you're pretty close. So the 1979 season was coming to a close in week 16. But of course, the Steelers were not the AFC Central champions yet. They still had some work to do because Oilers, well, they were playing Philly and the Oilers were rolling. The Oilers would end up winning that game as well. The Steelers definitely needed a win. We talked about that advantage in the playoffs. So that's huge as well. Now the game they had, was against the seven and eight Bills. It was absolutely crucial, Tony. The game was at Three Rivers, which was a big deal because once again, seven and zero at home. You don't know what's going to happen on the road with this team, and this is a team that you always talk about. And I know that you think it's it's huge, and I agree with you. The Steelers were very peculiar in 1979 because they scored the most points in the league. They were firepower personified. But they also led the league in something else, Tony. Ironically, or, or astonishingly enough, they, they led the league in turnovers. And, and even John Stallworth was on record as saying, we never got it figured out all the way through that season. We could never figure out why we were turning the football over. It wasn't just Bradshaw, although he was a big part of it. It was Franco. It was everybody. Uh, they were just fumbling, throwing interceptions. It, it was kind of amazing. 
and yet they had such a such a potent offense and, and the most uh, potent offense in the entire NFL. So a juggernaut with a lot of flaws was the 1979 Steelers, and I think that's why they are so endearing to a lot of people. This game would also feature some very interesting things. It was going to feature a homecoming for Indiana PA's Jim Hazlitt, who played it at Indiana. It, it was called Indiana State at the time, which I did not know that. Where, where they call it IUP now, it was Indiana State. Did you know that? I, I'm this much old when I just found that out. I, I had no idea either. And so it's funny because when you think of 1979 and you think of Indiana State, you think of a powder blue Indiana State with a curly-headed blonde guy wearing number 33 in Larry Bird. And what you don't realize, there's a senior at Indiana State in 1979 getting ready to go into the draft in 1980 by the name of Tunchelkin. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He went to Indiana State. I, I realized that, but I didn't I didn't realize that because, as you said, every time you think of Indiana State, you think of Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, and I think of Tunch. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Tony. What was the mascot for Indiana State or what is still the mascot for Indiana State? Wow. Wow, that is putting me on the spot. Mm, I know it's not a new state bird. That was their Larry Bird song. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. If I'm Second- not... Oh, you got it. You got it. Sycamores. Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, good job, Tony. Because I was going to say, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the Sycamores. Hearing that song in my head, that's what got got me to it. (laughs) And you're not going to believe this. I went to my browser just to make sure I was right before I said it. And there is something on my browser that says the greatest trios in NBA history ranked. And there's a picture of Larry Bird's 33 jersey, along with McHale and Parrish. How about that? That's amazing. We got to talk about this game, man. So Hazlitt's there. Mike Collier, who lives in the same town as me now here in Maryland. And Mike Collier was a former Steeler that played on the Super Bowl 10 team. He was the running back for the Buffalo Bills playing fullback. He was a big bruising guy, and he ended up being the leading rusher in this game for the Buffalo Bills. So he was in the game, and it was a comeback for another guy a first rounder from Grambling from the year 1971. It was Frank Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who who caught that big touchdown pass in the uh, Colts game, the divisional round game a few years earlier. Yeah. He's Frank Lewis was a really good player. The problem with Frank Lewis, they traded him for a guy that couldn't even pass the physical. So they got, nothing out of this trade it was weird because i'm reading up on this and they're saying well they sent him back to buffalo and they never agreed on compensation for frank lewis so they just gave the guy away but one of the reasons they gave him away is they had not only the the greatest duo in history john stallworth and lynn swan they had jim smith who you talk about all the time and i do as well and they had t bell so they had a pretty potent quartet of receivers and he just didn't fit in as far as where they were going. So they traded the veteran. They thought they were getting something out of them. A horrendous trade. Yeah. Even more horrendous than the Pirates Chris Archer deal of a couple <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's one of those blind spots. A team like the Steelers, maybe they were so focused on winning because they were in the middle of the historic run. We, we didn't get anything back for Frank Lewis, but that's okay. We're just going to keep marching forward. And then you don't realize how if they would have got somebody back, it, it might have helped them into the 80s. We'll never know. 
So there's one more thing we want to bring up here. Another duo that played high school at the same place in Shreveport, Louisiana, Woodlawn High School. That's where Terry Bradshaw came from. And that's also where Joe Ferguson came from for the Buffalo Bills. And Joe Ferguson was considered the greatest of the two when it came to high school numbers. So two quarterbacks that played at the same school. There you go. Joe Ferguson, Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, and he was drafted in, what, 73, I believe, meaning Joe Ferguson. And during the broadcast, the thing that I found interesting, and it shows you what a way different era that it was back then, is they were still talking about Ferguson as being this up-and-coming quarterback, which today, I mean, if you're six or seven years in, and you're still not quite there. I mean, he had a respectable career, but they were still talking about him you know, maybe reaching another level. You would never hear that today. The patience is rather thin when it comes to quarterbacks in 2021. Fans don't have the patience, but luckily the organization in Pittsburgh had the patience or Terry Bradshaw would have never made it in the year 2020. He would have been Mitch Trubisky. He would have been on another team and they would have been done with him. Absolutely. So let's take a break, Tony, and get deep into this game. It's the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Davis. Tony Duffy is alongside me here. And we will be back right after this on The Retro Show. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back to the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Tony Defio is alongside me. We are about to kick off in the Steelers-Bills game from Week 16, 1979. It was a crucial game. The Steelers needed a win to win the division, the AFC Central, over the Houston Oilers. This was the fifth tiebreaker. If they lose... They're a wild card. They're going to be on the road where they were four and four in that season. So this game could have meant the difference between being out right away or winning Super Bowl 14 and that dynasty 4-0 Steelers team from the 70s. Let's get into it. Matt Barr would open the contest up by kicking off to Keith Moody, who would field the ball at the two and take it all the way to the 36 to open the game. Ferguson would hit rookie Jerry Butler from Clemson for a gain of 37 on the very first play over Jack Lambert and Dirt Winston. Chuck Knox's team, they were rolling right away. They were on the attack as Terry Miller's nine-yard run combined with a L.C. Greenwood face mask infraction had the visitors in business at the Steelers 23. On the next play, Mike Collier, who we mentioned, looked to be in the clear. But out of the blue, L.C. Greenwood comes up and stops him in his tracks. L.C. Greenwood, he was fleet, and he made it happen, Tony. This was a big play, or this game would have started off pretty rough for the Steelers. Looking to win this game and, and get that division title and the, and the buy under wrap and to be down 7 nothing to a team that had nothing to play for, that would have been a pretty horrible way to start the game for the Steelers, defending champs or not. On third and seven, Lou Pacone caught a pass from Ferguson, but was stopped inches short of the marker by Donnie Shell. Out came Nick Mickemeyer, a guy I always remember because of football cards. He was a pretty good kicker that year. Had a rough day today, spoiler alert. 
He converted from 31 yards, but whoa, wait, wait, wait. Yellow flag, delay of game. He's pushed back five yards. They're like, no problem. This is in Mickey Myers' range as well. Well, it would hinder the Bills as Joe Green. He busted through and blocked the kick with Shell recovering the ball. Holder Mike Minucci got in front of number 31, or Donnie Shell, the future Hall of Famer, would have been gone with a TD, Tony. Yeah, exactly. And and that is why coaches hate mental mistakes, right? I mean, my goodness. And uh, Joe Green, he must have thought he was he was going after a quarterback. He must have thought the, uh, that field goal was a quarterback because he really treated it like that. And, and of course, Donnie Schell was always Johnny on the spot in those days. And this is the amazing thing about that team. We're talking about Joe Green on special teams. Mel Blunt made a play in this game on special teams. Donnie Schell, they played a lot of starters on special teams. And remember, if they don't play starters on special teams in Super Bowl Ten. Then what happens? Jack Lambert doesn't go nuts and spike Cliff Harris after he goes after Roy Jarella. That game might turn out different because that was a turning point in that game. The Steelers relied on their starters on special teams and it always worked for them. Really interesting thing. Out comes Bradshaw and the Steelers offense minus John Kolb and Sam Davis on the left side of the line. In for them were Ted Peterson and Steve Corson because these guys were injured. Weakness showed early as the Steelers went three and out and Craig Colt came on to punt. He blasted a 61-yarder. After a three and out and a Rusty Jackson punt, get used to that name, Tony. You are going to hear Rusty Jackson in your sleep tonight. He was busy today. The Steelers came out with good field position at their own 44, but again, three plays, no dice. But the Steelers' defense was suffocating behind Green, Shell, Blunt, Lauren Taze and Jack Lambert. T-Bell's punt return set the black and gold up at the 50-yard line. And here comes 12. Immediately, he found Benny Cunningham. Benny Cunningham, Tony, was a lot better than anybody gives him credit for because I thought Benny Cunningham was good. But when I watch him in retro show games, he's all over the place. Yeah, he was probably a, a tight end. It was a little ahead of his time as far as athleticism and size. And it, it had been interesting to see how he would have played in, in today's NFL. But yeah, he was a lot better than people remember. And he just kind of got lost in the shuffle when you're talking about all those magnificent stars they had on that offense. So Cunningham had that 12-yard gain. It was Bradshaw's first completion of the contest. But the drive did stall and Barr's 52-yarder was partially blocked, keeping the game scoreless. The Steelers would get the ball back right away after a third down sack by Taze for a very long loss, Tony. TB12 would strike quickly again with a 24-yard pass play to Lynn Swan. Runs by Rocky Blyer, Sidney Thornton, Franco Harris moved the sticks to the 20. Then Swan, he made a nice move and a leaping grab in the end zone for the score. And it's a 7-0 lead after the PAT at the end of the first quarter. 7-0, Tony. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great at this point. And it felt like the defense was playing so well. It felt like that's all they would, would need, really. But yeah, this was a quintessential uh, Lynn Swan catch, leaping high in the air and outfighting his defender for the ball to, to make it 7 nothing early on. With the home team starting off in Buffalo territory after a punt, Stallworth, Cunningham, and Harris carried the mail for the Steelers. Then nervous moments arose when Bradshaw found his receivers covered and took it himself for a first down. But the blonde bomber had hints of red in his hair as he had a head laceration and he's heading to the sidelines. 
In came the fourth-year man from Boston College, Mike Kruzik, with the ball inside the two. After a run by Thornton, number 12 returned to hand the ball off to his star runner, Franco Harris, leader of the Italian Army. So next thing you know, it's another score. It's 14-0, midway through quarter number two. And Jim Hazlitt was kicked out because he ended up kicking Bradshaw in the head here. And Hazlitt ended up being a great Steelers coach in the 90s. But they think that's what nailed the hometown kid and got him out of the game, Tony. Uh, Bradshaw was a defending MVP in, in 1979. So, you you know, you take a, a less than savory shot at him. You're, you're probably gonna, the referees aren't going to be too kind to you. And especially if you're maybe an unknown player like Jim Hazlitt was back then. And yeah, they, it must have been pretty bad for them, for them to toss him out of the game. Bradshaw did lose his helmet. You never saw it on the replay on the game we were watching. They just said, oh, by the way, this happened. Yeah. Like, hey, wait, hey, Don Crickey, yeah, let me see this. I love Don Crickey, by the way. He was great in this game. Now, I'm going to say this. The Bills, they had a nice return. They had more problems. This time, Minucci had trouble with the snap when they were going for a field goal. Mickemeyer stopped, tried to reset and yeah. kick it again. It was ugly. So that's another chance that they missed out on with a bad kicking game. It's still 14 nothing. When the next drive proved to be fruitless, the Steelers punted and the Bills couldn't capitalize when Jack Lambert dropped his seventh interception, but got the Steelers defense off of the field, forcing another Jackson punt. Chuck Noel Steelers were out looking for dinner behind Stallworth, Cunningham, and Harris. Number 82 grabbed a Steeler record 67th pass on the drive and Cunningham was moving the chains. But as the Steelers were about to penetrate the end zone, Harris took a screen from Bradshaw, tried to do a little too much, Tony, fumbled, Bills recover. Eh. Later, after the two-minute warning, the Steelers turned the ball over again when Bradshaw overthrew Swan for the interception by Mario Clark. With good field position at the 40, Buffalo had 54 seconds to get points, but they turned the ball over on downs as the Steel Curtain defense held tough. At the half, the Steelers led 14 to nothing. Something interesting I just talked about, Tony, 67 by John Stallworth was a record at the time. It's double that now, Tony. It is, but for the time, it was a really great effort by Stallworth. And, and they needed him in, in 79 because they, they had a lot of injuries. In addition to turning the ball over a lot, they had a lot of injuries. You, you discussed Jack Ham being out for the postseason, but they, they could never quite uh, recover from the injury bug. And Lynn Swan missed a lot of time for Stallworth to come through with 67 catches. And he was the uh, team MVP that year. That was, uh, that was huge. Completions to Swan and Stallworth got the Steelers moving, but the drive belonged to the 5'10", 225-pound Louisiana man named Sidney Thornton, who started and ended the drive. Number 38's eight-yard run on a trap by Mike Webster was good for the touchdown. Barr got the extra point up and through. It was 21-0 early on in the third. The Bills would falter again as the Steelers stifled Ferguson and the offense, but so did the Steelers. In fact... Tony, this is amazing. This was the start of Turnover Fest. Yeah. Forget about Lobster Fest. Man, they were playing hot potato. No one had <laughs> to keep the ball. With the Steelers driving after a long game by Thornton, Jeff Nixon picked off Bradshaw at the Steelers 20. Okay, I'm going to have you do this when I read this. Jeff Nixon, just say one. one. We're going to count how many turnovers here, Tony. Okay. So... 
Second play that followed, Shell stopped in front of Frank Lewis for the interception. Two. Two plays later, Franco would cough up the ball, and then Dwight White would recover the football on the immediate play after a Buffalo fumble. So that is three and four. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. So Ball eight. So here we go on the very next play. Bradshaw fumbles the snap. It was a bad exchange with Webster, but he fell on it. The turnover streak was over. The Steelers couldn't really move the chains, but Colquitt comes on, blast one down, and pins the Buffalo Bills back on the one-yard line. Buffalo couldn't do anything. We saw Rusty Jackson on, comes in. I think it was his ninth punt at this point. He ended up with 10 or 11 in this game. It was amazing. Bradshaw would go to the air. Three incompletions followed. Matt Barr was wide right. He missed again. Man, you had Jarella missing in the 70s, and then now Matt Barr was missing in the 70s, and they still won four Super Bowls, Tony. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Uh, uh, Jack Ham often said that, that was, they never quite, speaking of never figuring something out, they, they really quite never figured out their special teams all throughout the 70s, but they had so much talent that they were able to compensate for it, especially their kicking game. Uh, you, you mentioned where Jarella, all, all those misses that we've, we've covered in the, in the retro show and now, and now uh, Matt Barr. In the fourth, the Steelers would get on the board again as Terry, well, he spread the ball around to Swan, Stallworth, Cunningham, Thornton was in the action. Uh, Franco took a handoff up the middle for an 11-yard score midway through and also eclipsed 100 yards on the day in that season finale. On that very play, actually, he got over 100, and he would stay there, 100 yards rushing for the day. At 28-0, the division seemed to belong to the men of steel. After stopping the Bills yet again, Mike Kruzek, well, he tagged in to spell Bradshaw with less than six minutes in the contest. Kruzek's a guy who never threw a touchdown pass for the Steelers, but won a lot of games for them. In fact, he had six straight wins to open his career, but could never get the ball in the end zone. The Boston college kid here, fourth year player. He comes in, but he reels off a beautiful 22 yard run in a scramble. And Greg Hawthorne, the 1978 number one pick from Baylor would get some work as well, but Hawthorne was stopped with a fourth and one on the Buffalo nine. And the bills had one last chance to get into the end zone. But here's something that I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know this guy was a defensive back, Tony. Did you know Larry Anderson was a defensive back? I'm so glad you brought that up because I was shocked too. I thought he was an offensive player for some reason. I don't know where I thought he played because wearing number 30 wasn't a running back. But yeah, I was shocked. Just as shocked as you that he was a defensive back. But Larry Anderson, yes, that Larry Anderson picked off the ball and the Steelers with Rick Moser and Anthony Anderson ran out the clock for the 28-0 victory. Man, we got to give a game ball to Larry Anderson for that pick. That was awesome. One of my favorite Steelers because of how great he was as a kick returner, especially in the Super Bowl against the Rams that year. He was fantastic, but getting that interception just made me smile. I know it did you too. It did, and it was, it, it was a great play on the ball. He really showed great instincts uh, on that play. I, I'm surprised he didn't maybe develop more as a defensive back to come away with a pick late in the game when you, when you already had the division wrapped up. I think it was, it was, it was nice to see. Here's how great the Steelers defensive backs were back then. Tony Dungy was traded away. You know, he yeah. couldn't he couldn't stick around that many years for the Steelers. You had a lot of guys there. 
Uh, you had Randy Rudershawn, who you thought was going to be pretty good. And then he ended up having that uh, career ending injury in a car accident the year before on Monday night football against the San Francisco 49ers. They had so many names, Ron Johnson, who was a number one pick out of Michigan state, man, they had the guys, JT Thomas, who was out for the year that year they had Glenn Edwards, who was a safety. The defensive backs were absolutely amazing back then. Mike Wagner, Donnie shell. I mean, the names name after name. And oh, did I even mention Mel Blunt? Yeah, he was there too. Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, great defensive backs on that team. So really interesting to bring up Mr. Anderson. I love it. Ferguson, Joe Ferguson. He lasted a long time in the league. I remember him playing like at age like 40 with the Detroit lions. Ferguson was 11 for 31, 103 yards, two interceptions, two sacks. Collier, who we mentioned, 49 yards. Collier's a great guy. Every year before the, the Super Bowl, he's at the at the supermarket here in Maryland where I'm at, signing autographs. And the nicest guy, a real super guy. Terry Bradshaw was 14 for 27, 209, one touchdown, two interceptions, that touchdown to Swan. Franco was money on the day, 21 carries for 100 yards, two touchdowns. And I'm giving a game ball to Sidney Thornton, number 38, 51 yards rushing, 55 yards on receptions and a touchdown. Good day for number 38. When we talk about the Steelers of 2021, Tony, we talk about fixing the running game. You guys don't realize the Steelers had two starters that were not in this game and they still had Franco going off. Thornton going off and Blyer really didn't have to touch the ball in this game. The running game from 1979 was just tremendous. And this team could score at will. What a fun time checking out the 1979 Steelers. It really was. It really was. And we mentioned their, their flaws, but they were just so talented that even though they were basically near the end, they didn't know it at the time, but they were near the end of their dynasty. They were still good enough to, to be the best team in the, in the league that year. Even, even through all their flaws, they, were, they still had the best offense. And it paid off. This win was huge because they ended up hosting the Houston Oilers in that championship game, that controversial championship game, not as controversial as you would think if you go ahead and watch it, like Tony and I have on the retro show. So it's not as big as you would think, but legend has it that the Oilers were screwed and they weren't as big as you would think that they were. So they end up playing the Oilers, going to the Super Bowl, coming losing 19 to 17 at halftime at the Super Bowl in Pasadena against the Los Angeles Rams and having a fantastic fourth quarter to win that game. Four Super Bowls would have not been possible if it wasn't possibly for this game against the Buffalo Bills. So I'm glad we had a chance to check it out on the retro show, Mr. Defio. Yeah, me too. And, and that's one thing about those 70 Steelers, they never had to play three games. Of course, they, they never expanded the wild card until 78, but they, they only had to play one road game in their four Super Bowl years, and they never had to play more than three games. So it would have been pretty interesting to see what would have happened if they had to take the long route to get to the Super Bowl. But fortunately, they didn't have to find that out, and they got lucky. The Chargers lost. The Chargers beat them up pretty good in the regular season, but they avoided them. And, and they got the, the Oilers, which wasn't much of a consolation prize because they were really tough. But at least they got to play at a three-river stadium. Tony, thanks so much. You know, my friend, you can take us away. We don't mind. 
but you better promise us we'll be back in time. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.